Hey there, quick note before we start today. I recorded this episode way back when, two months ago nearly, so sort of end of October, beginning of November maybe, and we talk about D&D and we talk about D&D 5e and our love for the system. Of course, we recorded this way before all of the stuff with the OGL happened. Um, if you want to know my position on that, uh, Wizards of the Coasts are idiots. And that's all I have to say on that matter. So, enjoy this episode, which is very much a TTRPG kind of toolkit slash talking about making a podcast and an actual play thingy. I hope you enjoy it. This should be a lot of fun. Now, a lot of our long-term listeners and my friends will know that I'm huge into D&D, but some new listeners to this podcast might not know what tabletop role-playing games are, what D&D is. So, in your own words, can you sort of tell us all about it? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I predominantly play Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, uh, which a lot of people do. And uh, essentially, you take on a role and work and and explore a a world whether it's it's been created by the the person running the game or uh you've gotten out of a book like a module released by wizards in this case of dungeons and dragons and you just explore and and assume this role of of an interesting character you could be you could be the typical hero or perhaps an anti-villain or anti-hero sorry uh and yeah, just essentially, it's it's just storytelling is, is really what it boils down to. Yeah, and it's sort of that collaborative storytelling, isn't it? It's the sort of right. working together with your friends, with the other players to sort of tell the most epic uh, story you can. And I think that particular aspect is uh, very often can be forgotten. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, there's there's a, a bit of a power dynamic when it comes to the game master versus the players yeah. that can very easily tip in the wrong and unfun direction at the table. So the collaborative part is is really large part of what I I really enjoy about playing these games. Yeah, and how long have you been playing now? Oh wow! I mean, we've I've been playing. I, I realize edition. I'm also going to age you at this point, so because <laughs> I mentioned you start in mid twenties, uh, early to mid twenties. So apologies if I make you sound like you're really old and like you you give me a big number. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely uh, at least a decade because really I I only started playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, in fourth edition, so that was you know, early to mid 2000s when that was, uh, and, and it was fairly short lived as far as editions go, because it wasn't very popular at the time. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to make you feel old. Um, I started mid 20s, but that's only like four and a bit years ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I get up, I get up out of bed and I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> if it's any consolation, I thought we were the exact same age. So there we go. <laughs> So tell me all about the Incorrigible Party. Um, I think first question, obviously this is your actual play podcast, but where did that name come from? Well, okay, so that's a bit of a story. So like you and I, I met my co-host of the Incorrigible Party over the internet uh, and over Twitter specifically. 
there was a group of us in the in the uh, board gaming community on Twitter that you know tweeted each other and interact with each other on a, a routine basis, and we kind of formed this incorrigible club. We had we had a hashtag incorrigible club, and essentially it was uh, one person, a friend of mine, uh, Christian Kang, would he just had like this bot post every day said it was today is the day i start working out and every day i would respond me too and that kind of and that went on for like an entire year of daily (laughs) the same post the same so then other people started posting the same thing and we (laughs) we kind of had this shared uh this shared camaraderie almost and commiserating with (laughs) with this post and having to daily post it uh, and, and then kind of a, a few of us, you know, we, we, we grew closer and, 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 and created friendships off of this, uh, through other, through other additional interactions. And one day I was like, Hey, let's, uh, let's play Dungeons and Dragons and, and record it. Um, yeah. so John, John and Emily, uh, they're uh, a couple, they live in Ohio and they, ha- uh, they have decades of ttrpg experience bill and elena who are also who also live in canada they had never played before we started the show like never even touched a ttrpg so the first kind of chapter of the show we we geared it towards like learning how to play so it was very if you were completely unfamiliar I i think we did a really good job of of you know sticking to rules as written as much as possible and kind of explaining how things go and Honestly, listening back to that first chapter, I don't know how I had the patience that I did (laughs) dealing with like brand new players. Not to say that they were, you know, that's not a a denigration of of them or or their their skills at the table. That was just like, that's a me thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's a me. Yeah, I could sort of definitely relate to that sort of brand new players because I think we like to think we're all going to be the best teacher we can when it comes to tabletop role-playing games. Uh, but like that is a whole skill in itself, which is almost separate to uh, actually sort of playing the game. And I think it definitely takes sort of like the right person with the right amount of patience to actually effectively introduce someone into a new game or even a, a sort of running game and have, the patience and the skill kind of required to give them the best experience. No, I I completely agree. It's there's a lot of moving pieces, right? And you really need to be forgiving because even the person running the game cannot possibly remember every single little rule Mm -hmm. or interaction that comes up at the table. Just there's so much variation that can happen. And you have to be forgiving on both sides, I think. All right, brilliant. So I'm kind of interested because sort of actual play, sort of D and D, it sounds like a lot of fun. But I imagine the tech side. I imagine sort of the getting it to actually work is probably not as fun. So what have you learned from sort of running actual play D and D? Uh, I have learned just how 
much of a friend the power of editing is yes. <laughs> because I know we like literally just talked about it before we started recording. It works. It makes you sound amazing. Yeah. Like we sound not to pat my own back here, but I think our show sounds really great. Yeah. And honestly, when you're, especially in combat, right? I think it does, it does a lot to speed up combat and make it so combat is not a slog to listen to. And also obviously that kind of comes into how you craft your combat encounters as well. So it's not a slog for the players and for the person running the game, uh, which is a bit of a different conversation, but like, yeah, just, you just rapid action, right? When the combat should be lots of action because it's all happening so quickly, even though it takes so long to play out. Yeah. I mean, it's always so funny in those games, your combat could last two hours, but it's, it, takes less than a minute in game time uh, yeah so it's, it's always so strange and to wrap your head around but yeah power of editing and uh ambient background music really goes a long way for setting tones and moods uh throughout the play we had the benefit of uh using tabletopaudio.com uh tons of amazing tracks and uh if you support them on patreon you get uh, variants of those tracks uh, such such great work uh, over at tabletop audio definitely i would if you're looking for music to enhance your game for sure check out tabletopaudio.com yeah totally i totally agree as well like i use them in my own games too uh yeah no totally uh totally and utterly. now what about your session prep do you kind of approach because it's obviously going out live to the public do you approach it in the same way you may approach your home game or do you have like a different approach to your prep? I don't think I change the way I prep uh, specifically, but what I, you uh, personally, I feel the pressure, especially now, like we're, we're nearing the end of our first campaign for the show and there will be future campaigns. So yeah. It's not the show, but but like this is a long running campaign and my longest running campaign I've ever been in or run. Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure there. And then the prep. When you come, when you're we're, we're, we're entering the end game here, right? Like <laughs> it's it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure. I, and so so my prep is relatively pretty easy, though. It's a, like relatively light because. I've only ever run homebrew games, so yeah. So, I've, so I don't really have the the experience of tackling like a a, a published module or published uh, shorter campaign. But for me, when it comes to homebrew stuff, a lot of the work is already done up front, building the world, and I already mm -hmm. know the players. Right when you when you go and you start your campaign, I, like I knew I knew who all the players were. I knew how those players were interacting with each other. Um, and sorry, by players, I don't actually mean the players at the table, but I mean like the big bads in the game. So, ah, so yes, like yeah. my villains or the 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 more important NPCs in the world. I know how they're interacting with each other. And now, when the players and the characters enter the world, that's when things get to change, and that's how, where the collaborative part comes in. Like they get to influence how those other NPCs are interacting with each other and the conflicts, and they can intervene or or. Um, or maybe embellish some of these conflicts and make them worse or help them, et cetera, right? So a lot of that prep is, that's like the front load work. Yeah. And now, because we've been in the world for so long, 
I just know right away. Like it's it's not even improv at this point, right? It's just like okay, th- th- it makes so much sense that your decision here is affecting this in the world because I just it just it's it really only makes sense because we've been in it so long and I just know it like the back of my hand. So my my prep is fairly minimal because I already have a lot of it. Like I know where it's all going, right? And yeah. obviously that changes rapidly throughout play, but prep time gets really easy in homebrew. I don't know. I, I feel like it's like it gets lighter and lighter as as you go on. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like it sounds like you went from like a top down approach, like the big picture and then going to eventually looking at the players themselves and looking at the player characters as well. Uh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that is that's kind of always just how I've done it. Um do you t- typically run games or are you are you forever dm as well or i am forever dm um (laughs) i'm lucky that i i i'm in a very long-term relationship with another forever dm oh so we have rescued each other um he plays my game i play in his which is oh that's great um but yeah when it comes for me like i haven't homebrewed my own world yet i haven't taken on that task i've been using um pre pre-constructed world so I messed around first with wizard of the coast and and um and uh, the uh, sword coast and now i've moved over to midgard uh which is published by now i've moved over to midgard which is i can talk now i've moved over to midgard which is published by cobalt press see i can do this um and i absolutely <laughs> adore that setting i absolutely love it and um but i do want to i do want to do what you did and make that i made that jump um one day so i'm literally just the next questions that i have about world building are just you doing the homework for me uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but before we move on to like the rest of the world building why did you take that approach that you did? Like the 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 top down yeah approach. Uh, I, that's a good question. I I think it's just easier for me to manage that way. So because yeah. I I like the big picture. So I take the, I have I've had the big picture right, mm-hmm. and it's almost like it's out of focus. And as as the com- campaign progresses, that picture gets sharper, and yeah. the images become more clear for the players. And again, some of those images are missing in that kind of fuzzy, blown out picture, because those many of those images the players are filling in themselves. It, you know, again, back to their actions that they do, or like their backstories that they provide me at character creation, uh, et cetera. And obviously, as as a campaign goes out, character death is. I don't want to say an inevitability, especially in fifth edition, because it's very hard to kill your players in fifth edition. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but, Hi, Russ, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> but it happens, right? And that changes. Um, like we've had a couple character deaths in our campaign, uh, and yeah, they 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 inject. As sad as it is to see some player uh, characters go, those new characters come in and they inject a whole new yeah amount of collaboration that now myself and that player gets to do and by extension the entire party gets to to take part in because you know they they're they are a party uh our party specifically and i think that's common at probably a lot of tables they're very dysfunctional they're yes. they're mostly distrusting of each other they're 
we have, you know, Falzerin is our, our wizard who, who Bill plays. He's he he started out very naive and he's getting a little more street smart, but he's still yeah. still kind of a naive. Uh John, who plays Shaft. Shaft is like the typical like schemer, cards close to the chest, uh, you know, gonna do what's best for him and will cooperate when it's best for him, kind of thing. So we have a lot of the we have a great interparty conflict and uh relationships that are that are, are complicated and a lot of those complications have directly been influenced by some of the NPC interactions. So it's it's great. I mean, as I just really like to fill in that picture, TLDR of your question. I like yeah. to fill in the big picture because yeah. I think it's easier to do so. And and because of how chaotic some parties can be and the decisions, the branching consequences of those those decisions can be, it just it's it again, it makes your prep easier because you're not throwing out you know a magnum opus of pages of prep because the characters went left instead of right kind of yeah yeah no totally um because like that's the mistake i made way back when when i first when i first started dming i was like oh yeah i gotta do all of this prep and then it's it sort of ends up being a case of like you said the characters go right instead of left and you're like what oh um, but yeah no i i sort of ended up doing a similar thing like i would take the factions sort of work out what they're doing and then insert the players in see what the players do and see how that affects uh how that affects everything now of course talking of world building um i believe your world is um aspara is that correct that's right yeah aspara yay my dyslexia is not playing up today <laughs> um now obviously we can go on a website and we can read so much lore and so much information about it and i absolutely love that it's the most wonderful resource uh but for those who haven't yet gone into the show notes and actually clicked the link can you tell us all about aspara aspara uh aspara is a very small world so that's the other thing when i homebrew is my my like continent scale is more like a kingdom scale so it's quite like the world is very small. It's it's not going to take you like weeks uh, of traversal mm. from going one end to the other. And I'm trying to get away from that because I think sometimes it feels a little claustrophobic, but it's a very small world. And essentially in Aspara, there really aren't any villains. Uh, mm. There's certainly heroic people, um, some members of our party included, but I try to make you know, the, the, the BBG, the big, bad, evil guys, not necessarily so evil on paper, at least, like, or, yeah. or, or, at, or at, at, at face value. Uh, and when you, when you dive deeper, all of their motivations, uh, some of them are self-serving, some of them are less self-serving and could potentially be you know, agreed with, or, or, or uh, and the party could work with them because of X, but Y and Z are pretty bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, where did um, Aspara sort of come from? And by this, I mean the real world. Um, did it come from like a random idea one day? Was it like a collection of other stuff? Was it something you've always been thinking about? How did, how did, how did it get going? Uh, I think. When I when I sit down to start and create a world, what I really love to do uh, is 
take a, you know, flip through like the monster manual. Yeah. And take inspiration from interesting looking creatures. And, you know, they, they, they offer their own lore in the monster manual. And I'll basically take that and kind of iterate it and potentially build a campaign around a specific creature or creatures mm-hmm. and kind of just blossom from there. Specifically in Aspara, a large threat is this creature called the Neogi. And they're essentially this spacefaring creature that takes over and has like mind control abilities. So they, they have all these, these thralls and they're, they're, they're pretty much the only distinctly evil force in Aspara, really. So I thought they were very interesting and I thought you could easily build a campaign around them. And that's kind of what, what has happened. And this threat to the world, you know, others are, are, are trying to battle it or they're, unaware of it or they just don't care about it uh, to, to to pursue their own self-interest so that's kind of where things usually start for me and when it comes to like plotting down like the cities or figuring out what's going on it's because my worlds are so small it also makes that much more easier because i can i can put more focus into specific cities that they may or may not go to because i think when I find when you have an expansive territory or a huge map that's like thousands of miles from one end to the other, right? There's, I think there's a lot of things that that you 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 just have to gloss over because of the yeah. scale. Yeah. And specifically for our our, our live play, our, our our actual play, I want to make sure that there's the detail there, and I want it to feel like it's fleshed out for the listener because listening to somebody play a TTRPG is a lot different than actually playing a TTRPG and part of crafting the show and keeping it interesting is making sure that there are things that can get picked up on by the listener and they can connect some dots that maybe the players aren't connecting. And that's, we always try to give our listener more information than anybody at the table has. Yeah. Which I, which I hope that they enjoy. And uh, I certainly enjoy because obviously I have all of the information. <laughs> <laughs> so I like it. <laughs> um, like just picking up on a couple of things there as well. Like totally agree with you on that kind of scale thing. Cause I love playing with massive maps that take forever. I don't know if you can see, like I attempted a sort of homebrew world kind of there. I sort of mm-hmm. have it on on the figure jig, and that map just on one A four page is like sort of about four hundred miles long. Um, so like I was going on the tiny little bit of details, but you do like you said, you end up glossing over, don't you? You end up kind of with just those like you want to fill in the little bits, but at the same time, if you fill in every single little bit, then you you wouldn't have a D and D game. You would have the novel War and Peace, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly well. Yeah, that's. That's like the catch twenty two of it, right? Uh, I mean, it's so easy to fall into that that trap of over preparing yeah. because you could spend six months building your world, and the players wouldn't even see twenty five percent of it, right? Yeah. Like, depending on what they decide to do, and then obviously you can you can employ tactics that aren't I wouldn't consider railroading, but 
you can push them in certain directions and give them hints and hooks to try to steer them in different directions. But unless you're literally going to put them on a train and send them to the other side, the other side of the world, right? You know what I mean? Like that's not going to be fun for the players generally. I think something also I'm finding really interesting as well is that bit you mentioned where you give the listener more information than the players have got. And I, does that come from a certain place or is that just something you just fight with and you just like doing? Well, I, uh, we often, I mean, I I don't say often, we, we just put out session, we just put out our 172nd episode is releasing soon at the time of recording. And we, we have a few like post-credit scenes. I mean, we just completely pulled a, pulled an MCU and put in post-credit scenes. And again, most of those scenes, the players are not allowed to listen to because they are more, they're, they're scenes that don't. They, they apply to the players, but they don't involve the players because it's strictly for the listener. And it gives them a, a brief insight into the other goings on in, in the world. And what I like about that is that for me, as a, when I'm a player, like, I, don't, I don't need that as the player. But as the person running the game, you're like, boy, I wish I could share this with somebody because I yeah. think this is really cool. And I like, like, I, I like, this is the world. This is the world we're building. And I want to share more of that with our, our loyal listeners, essentially. And the other side of that is we often have like an off mic moment where yeah. it's, the, it's akin to pulling a player out of the room. If you're sitting at the table, right? When you're playing and the, and the, the DM says, okay, you come with me, you would, you come with me. We're going out here and we're going to have our private conversation as you're off by yourself or, whatever is happening so we you know if i need uh if i need a word with falls and i'll kick everybody else off they'll pull the headphones off we'll continue to record and then again the players are not allowed to listen to that in the final cut because that's not for them that's what's yeah. going on with with falls and that, that, that's so fun though isn't it it's just having it those kind of like i know something you know something no one else knows the something. There's something right. tantalizing about it, isn't there? <laughs> well, I think it also is a really good uh, vehicle for player agency because yeah. oftentimes, like you say, like they're getting that secret information and now they have the choice to act on it, to share with the party, to take input or not take the input from the rest of the party on what they just experienced uh, or in the case of Shaft in our game, he will often hold on to those that bits of information because that's his leverage. He'll keep yeah. it as for as long as he can and as long as it is going to be beneficial to him and he it puts him on the the higher foot, right? Yeah. Ah, oh, fair dues. Uh, I've had that as well. Um, just in my game recently, um, I had one party member uh contact an npc um and sort of got hold of a little bit of information hi alex how are you doing hope you're <laughs> dealing with this information in this 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 little bit really well uh, <laughs> and yeah i kind of had that where i had him contact uh this certain npc kind of basically the leader of the lizard folk sort of military force because in in, in, in my worlds the lizard folks are a lot more than just a random enemy over here they've actually got their own civilization their own culture um i kind of have them as a little bit sort of kind of dictatorship ish 
a little bit with three different governments, and I'm just okay. completely going here. Uh, three different bits, like one for um, education, one for military, and one for domestic matters. Um, and they decided to scry in to the head of the military arm, who just so happens to be a really high level cleric who knew exactly what was going on <sighs> and switched it round and turned it into a Skype call. <laughs> ah, that's awesome. <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. That's um, good. And, but the only person who could hear the conversation was Alex's character, Victoria. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so that was, that was just fun. Um, but I, I did that with everyone else hearing, which was kind of hilarious because I got the um I got I got to hear the reactions of all the other players realizing he's about to be played. <laughs> That's great. Which was fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's go back let's go back to yourself now. And when you sit down to write, what does your writing sessions and what do your prep sessions kind of look like if i was in the room what would i what would i be kind of seeing uh you would see probably a a, a lot of uh w extra windows open with creature stats and you know old lore uh which i like to pull from and tweak and i would definitely have music playing doesn't really matter what it is but just something to to kind of keep keep me moving keep keep kind of keep my leg going keep my leg bouncing that kind of thing um but i mean honestly it's relatively simple the 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 one key thing i think uh for my own prep that really lets me get into the head of my npcs because we once we hit kind of into chapter two of our show and we're currently in the third and final chapter of this campaign we moved away from the, the the teaching aspect because, you know, we had been playing for about a year and a half at that point, I believe. And we were, you know, our newer players were pretty well versed in it. So we really leaned into focusing on, on the role playing. Yeah. And all of the players are, they're great role players. And I, I want my NPCs to keep up with them. I need them to. So to get into those mind spaces, I really love to write out dialogue for my npcs if i know an encounter with an npc is coming up obviously you kind of know an npc is an exposition device right like yeah that's what that's kind of what they exist for <laughs> <laughs> so i know what they i know what the npc wants to tell them but i do try to think of responses i'll get from the party especially if the meeting is a little more antagonistic which mm -hmm. honestly with the incorrigible party, most NPC meetings are antagonistic. So, and, and really very often turn more combative uh, than just kind of exchanging of harsh words. So I just like to write dialogue for them and I, and I write yeah. what they, I think they would say. And I mean, I, I, I do some voices, like most of our NPCs have some voices. I am currently out of voices though. So introducing more, <laughs> introducing more NPCs, I'm out of voices. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody, but that's it. There's no, there's no, I have nothing in the can. So <laughs> you're going to hear just me talking and it's going to sound every NPC moving forward. is just going to be me. But I like, I want to, I want to know their voice and I want yeah. to know their thinking because I think that's more of that attention to detail and more of that, that filling in the word. Cause a very, a simple, you know, 10 to 15 minute conversation with an NPC really can fill in 
an, a specific area or, or a specific instance or, or the world in general. Like you can offer a lot in just a simple dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I totally like on the voices front as well. I have run out of voices. Um, <laughs> I have, I have one of three. I have Eastern European, <laughs> Indian that turns into Welsh or really bad Texan. That's what you get from me. <laughs> Now, of course, NPCs always have a goal, uh, don't they? And that's, that's, that's something that I found that's really, really been helpful for me uh, when it comes to sort of planning the NPCs. But when it comes to your writing and your prep work, do you have a goal in mind? Wow. Uh, I've never really thought of my goal. I guess, like, a, like I say, the, my goal is usually the exposition dump. Yeah. And I try to... But but what I tried to do, and and actually very recently, it's I've kind of failed at doing so. I try to get the players to prompt for the exposition dump. I just don't want to give it to them. I don't want to say give it to them freely, but and it's not really a matter of making them work for it. But I just want it to seem like it's it's naturally come up and, and like they're probing for this information rather than me just handing it to them because yeah, the current trajectory of where where we are in the campaign. Like they they know exactly where they need to go and what they want to do, um, for the most part. But like, yeah, it's kind of the first time that we we have a very distinct road to the end, and I just have to continue to throw complications into that because otherwise they kind of just march to the end of the campaign and then it's over, you know. <laughs> so my goal is usually to to just complicate things, no matter yeah. what where we are in the campaign. Like that, it's as simple as that, right? Yeah, no, that's that's the best part as well. Just being like, uh, I do the same for backstories. Like, you give me a backstory, and I will find something in there, and just find it, and just squeeze on that thing. Yeah, and then I know my players really, really well now, and I know exactly what will, um, for want of a better phrase, get the players moving. Talking of goals i've got a goal in mind for this podcast currently we are on the good pods top 100 indie documentary chart and we're currently chilling at number 33 which is a really awesome place to be and you've helped us get there so thank you so much for that but i wonder can we break 30 in the next week or so that would be absolutely awesome if you could jump over to good pods leave a rating and a review and that will really really help this show grow second favor to ask from you as well some of the more observant of you might notice that the format's changing slightly and this is a good thing because i'm also doing a video version of this and you can find this on our youtube channel uh quite simply search for tom meets interesting people same name as the podcast I'll leave a link in the uh, in the notes below, and I'd love to see you there. You can actually see what I look like, and we'll be honest, probably wish I stayed audio. Um, so let's move on now to the other uh, project that you've got, uh, the T-Hud podcast. I believe you kicked that off in 2017, is that right? Yeah, um, boy. Yep, that sounds right. I think so. It's been a long. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. So tell us, tell us, how did it kind of get started? So this this uh, the T Ed podcast has been running longer than the Incursible Party. 
Mm-hmm. And it was again, that was uh, in I had recently got into like tabletop board games, um, like hobby board games, you know, in the, in the vein of Settlers of the Catan, um, Ticket to Ride and those things and kind of expounding and diving into that, that hobby. And again, that's, that's where I met the members of the Incursible Party. So it's all very closely connected to me, uh, especially. And essentially, uh, at the time I was listening to a ton of board game podcasts and I thought, I really love this hobby. Uh, I'm buying crazy like people typically do when you first get into a hobby, just collecting everything yeah. I can regardless yeah. of quality. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, let's let's contribute to this. So so my, my current co-host, um, Moby, and my best friend, Marty, the three of us started, each of us kind of taking on a specialty. And because Mo, Moby is, is, a, is, is a cinema buff, Marty loves his video games and I was into the board games at the time. So those were, those are the three aspects of our show that we like to focus on. And, you know, we each kind of have our own segments and really what the show is about. And what I really like about it is that it, all three of those things are, are, are pretty closely connected. They have a ton of overlap one in, in like fans and, uh, you know, people that enjoy those three things, you might not enjoy all three, you may only be really into two, but there's a lot of commonalities between the three and just how, how you, how you enjoy those, those th- three aspects or how they're created, um, how they're, they're interpreted by, by consumers, um, just, a, a lot of, a lot of different things since then. Uh, Marty is no longer a full-time co-host. He kind of, he had to, he went back to school and so he left, unfortunately. So it's just Moby and I with, uh, occasional, occasional appearances by Marty. But since Marty's departure, we've also tried to have a, a guest co-host on for, for as many episodes as we can. Yeah. Better do. Um, so I wanted to ask you about putting your episodes together. Um, I got a whole bunch of questions here. First one is how do you decide? what to talk about so for the podcast i i do i do all the editing on both of the shows and moby is the content manager so he actually puts together the full outline of of the episodes so it's really that's kind of his his contribution to it and you know obviously it's it's collaborative and and both of us have you know equal input into it but he's the one that he he likes to spearhead that also he's the one that will chase after guests and form those guest connections, which is, I mean, honestly, I'm so thankful because I'm sure, you know, it takes a lot of effort and time yeah. to arrange that stuff and form those, those relationships. And he's very sociable. He's, you know, if I'm the introvert, he's the extrovert. So he loves that stuff. He absolutely yeah. loves it. And like, do you like sort of, um, like, how do you decide what, what, what to talk about? Like, um, Obviously, you mentioned Moby's doing most of the content there. Like, is it just a sort of case of you just exchange a few messages? Do you make do you have like more of a formal process? How do how do you pick those topics? Well, we do have uh, we do keep a Google a shared Google Doc. Uh, we call it the uh, Imaginarium, where you know when I, either of us has a, a thought, we'll we'll put it into a list of potential topics, and then kind of that's where we keep and pull from for the episode structures. So each mm. episode. We used to have all three segments, uh, board, crazy about card, cardboard for board games, movie musings for film, and video game variety show for the video games. But 
now our, our episodes to, especially when we have guest co-hosts, we just pick two of those three topics, you know, two of those three segments and kind of focus on them. Yeah. Usually they're connected. Uh, and usually it's also about like what's going on currently within those industries as well. Um, we our, our episode that launches at the end of November, we're talking about uh, kind of the financial struggles that Disney is currently going through. And, you know, they recently brought Bob Iger back as CEO. Uh, so like that was a very easy topic to talk talk about um, for for movie musings and, and that kind of stuff. So a lot of it, we try to keep it topical, but um, we are a monthly show now. So yeah, being topical is often difficult because by the time we recorded and release, well, you know, 24-7 news cycle, something else has already happened kind of thing. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I have that for this for this one. It's sort of like, I think two episodes I recorded ago, we referenced something that has happened at the end of October, which mm-hmm. was which is only a few weeks for us. Right. Uh, but that episode's going to go out in January. <laughs> We're like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's difficult. It's difficult. Well, I mean, I just think like, the the general pop culture and that was kind of again the the idea behind the podcast because you know the podcast pop culture that kind of again very clever play on words it's like it just it it just always it it influences us it influences yeah. us so much and it really is a lot as a driving force behind a lot of people's interactions i mean it's, it's just your your typical like gathering the water cooler talking about what you watched you know the day before kind of thing which is obviously very different now with the streaming services and how you can binge things and doesn't quite happen in that that episodic format or discussion you know that you might have gotten in in days past but it still happens it still occurs and it's still how people connect with each other Mm -hmm. and that's also what i really enjoyed about the board gaming hobby is you can easily sit down at a table with strangers and engage in a rule set and i think this applies with TTRPGs as well. Uh, I know we we talked about uh, your dissertation. You had mentioned uh, was kind of focusing on that. Yeah, and, and like you can, it's it's just it's it's bridging the gap in a, in a lot of areas, right? Of, of social interactions uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's that almost kind of shared experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is kind of interesting because it's more than just that. That shared experience is, is shown in more than just TTRPGs. It's shown in podcasting groups and different podcasters that I've met. I've seen it show up uh, between academics. I've seen it. Uh, I've se- I've read literature about it showing up between people in the military, people who work in the same places. Generally, it's just really kind of um, kind of interesting. Uh, but back to yourself. When it comes to producing an entire episode from prep to recording and then post, how long does it take the two of you to do that? Well, our episodes range from an hour to two hours, depending on the the topics. And we also have a a banter section at the very beginning where we kind of bring a whatever topic, the one or two that either of us want to want to talk about. And usually, that's kind of where the more current event stuff occurs. But I would say, you know, two hour recording and then the editing process is a lot quicker with only two voices, especially compared to the incursible party. But, like, yeah. you know, like typical editing takes at least twice as long as the recorded yeah. audio. So it's it, it's time consuming. And, and I'm just fortunate that I, I, I really enjoyed that process. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to venture out into to 
turning that into more of a career uh, as well. And I just really enjoy it. And I really, I mean, I, it helps that when you really care about the projects, right? Like if you, yeah, you I yeah. care about both these, these projects a lot. Uh, so it's very easy for me to be enthusiastic about sitting in a chair for four hours, editing, <laughs> adding music and, you know, intros and outros and balancing levels, et cetera. So I don't know. It's just something I, I really enjoy. And it's like part of this podcasting process that I didn't know I was going to enjoy the most. Yeah. It sounds like almost like you're very self-motivated then uh, to just get it sort of going. I mean, with, yeah, when you have co-hosts, obviously there's expectations on both sides, but yeah, when it comes to generally, I, I just really love being behind a microphone and it's strange how the microphone, (laughs) it almost like it's like this, it has like transformative qualities or something because like you get behind it and you just want to talk into it. (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't talk this much to people in real life. No way. Absolutely no way. Oh no, totally. I get it. It's like sort of, I don't know. I just look at it and it's like, it's so inviting. It's like, oh, hello, hello there, sir. <laughs> it's like I don't know if you're familiar with Critical Role, and um, when Grog had a, a festence of divergence, and that was speaking to him, I can't remember the name of the weapon. It's the same kind of thing. The mic is calling me. <laughs> <laughs> it talks back. <laughs> it's talking back to me. <laughs> I'm not actually recording a podcast right now. I'm just talking to a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I have to carry a microphone. If I want to hold any type of social interaction in person, I need a microphone in my hand. It's not connected to anything, but I have to oh, have but- it now. I'm, I'm trained. I've been doing this for so long. I'm now um, trained. I'm- I'm so glad I didn't catch that on camera because to add to the joke, I was um, going to bring out a second mic, <laughs> <laughs> and and I've just ended up. Uh, let me move this real quick. I've just ended up knocking all my de- dice over. Oh wow, that's a nice little cup you have for those. Mine oh. are just loose on the desk. I can bat them at, at any moment's notice. Oh, this is going to ruin the editing. Um, but literally, I brought it from IKEA for thirty p handy yeah (laughs) i absolutely love that all right i'm probably gonna need to cut that bit out because that's probably gonna sound absolutely horrid (laughs) on the microphone or it's gonna be like my first foray into asmr so um before we do our questionnaire that rounds us off uh where can i find the encouragement party where can i find t-hood and where can i find you online well, both shows are available on any of your uh, podcast players of your of your choice. Uh, Incursionableparty.com for obviously the Incursion Party. Uh, TTPopcast.com for the T-Hud Popcast. I'm, I'm on Twitter. I mean, both shows are on Instagram and, and Facebook as well. Uh, you can just search those names. My Twitter handle is Leland underscore Steel. Uh, happy to have any conversations about TPRPGs, movies, video games, anything you want, board games. Hit me up if, if you so choose. Um, pretty easy to find. Yeah, brilliant. All right. So to close us out, uh, we do the questionnaire. And these come from the Prost questionnaire uh, that were later adapted by Bernard Pivot and then later by my hero, James Lipton. And now I present my doppelganger ad- adaptation. To yourself, what is your favorite word? Uh, 
I mean, is it bad to say incorrigible? <laughs> no, it's not bad to say it. It's it's perfectly reasonable. <laughs> why is why is that your favorite word? It's I find it's it's difficult to spell, which is funny, mm-hmm. annoying to spell. Uh, but it kind of defines itself in that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. obviously the connections formed with the incursible party and the, the, the players, uh, John, Emily, Bill, and Elena, like they're, they're like, they're my best friends, right? They're, they're some of my best friends now. Yeah. And that was all because of the show. And it's all attributed to being incorrigible. And so I, I, I couldn't say anything else. Yeah. Fair days, fair days. What is your least favorite word? Oh, least favorite is probably work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hate work. Hi, my employer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what engages you? I think um, interaction and systems engage mm. me. I like to explore, uh, explore them and uh, explore these you know like these specific topics uh interacting with people even though i don't talk to people in real life but like part of that getting behind the microphone is also tied to you're behind it talking about the things you love so interacting amidst those topics really does just drive me and get me going what disengages you oof uh disengages me Man, I mean, I think you know the the it's pretty typical the the toxicity, um, which is just you know everywhere these days. Like that 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 double edged sort of social media uh, yeah. can oftentimes be very disengaging. I think oftentimes the the feedback loop that a social media will give you can really just wreck your day. Uh, yeah, you know it's it's it's. It's very easy to internalize the lack of what drives you and to, to kind of put it on yourself that that's typical imposter syndrome stuff, right? Uh, that like everybody goes through. So you have to, man, I don't, I think myself, I can do it to myself is, is what I'm saying. Like I can, <laughs> I can, I can disengage myself too easily too yeah. easily yeah fair days, fair days. i could totally relate to that as well like one mean tweet can just ruin your not just your day but your week because it keeps ruminating in your head yeah. doesn't it yeah it's like an going... echo chamber right like yeah. yeah not fun not fun what sound or noise do you love i love the uh the crackle of uh like snow the the crunch of footsteps in snow yeah like i could asmr that right now yeah i mean you're in my geography's rubbish vancouver canada that's lots of snow not much mm, snow not i mean we have a ton of mountains to go that get a lot of snow but like in in the the lower mainland which i live in this the city the suburbs not so much uh so i think that's also what maybe why because like it's 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 fairly rare. Uh, if yeah. I want it, I have to like physically go seek it out most of the time. So mm-hmm. it's almost like it makes it like something special. I mean, I, I love snow and I love winter, but I hate driving in it is the worst thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally, totally. 
Uh, I was admit, I'm a summer boy. Like, I like Christmas, <laughs> I like the Christmas period, but I don't like, sort of, the cold. Like, it is getting cold here now in England. Yeah, yeah. And we are holding still on the, uh, we're not putting the heating on yet. Oh, you yeah. See, <laughs> you can see my breath already. <laughs> <laughs> what sound or noise do you hate? I hate the sound of crying babies. Yeah. Really can't stand it. I uh, <laughs> I don't particularly enjoy children. <laughs> I mean, I can tolerate them. Um, I think once they get to a certain age and like they, you can engage with them in activities, like kids are great. But anything like younger than like four, <laughs> I can't. I can't handle. I can't handle it. Yep. Yep. Um, God, crying babies is that. Let's not talk about that. Um, question seven. Everyone's favorite question. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, uh, it's got to be it's got to be the F word. I think I use it a little too much. <laughs> and <I'm, laughs> it's it's funny, though, because Bill and Elena from the Encouragement Party, they both say frig a lot yeah. in lieu of and like spending so much time with them. I've started to say that now so much <laughs> instead of dropping an F bomb. <laughs> oh, it's a wonderfully versatile curse word, though. You can put it before any noun. And just get a new insult. Or that any is word. Very yeah, and true. It just fits in anywhere. But it can um, also be positive. Like, yes. you, you can, something can be really effing great, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or you can even go, like, they, they could be sort of like something that kicks off it's something happening. Like me starting this podcast, I went, ah, fuck it. I'll just do it. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like the Forever DM once again going, and this is my podcast, I can swear as much as I like, uh, the Forever DM just going, ah, oh, fuck it, fine, I'll go and play. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll, 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 home, I'll homebrew this campaign, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, well, as I previously alluded to, I mean, I... Some type of audio engineering would would be great. I mean, currently I'm just you know kind of I, I manage a warehouse. It's kind of manual labor, um, and and I guess it's one of those things of like turning your hobby into your job can be yeah. good and bad. Uh, you could potentially grow to hate it. It's all I mean, obviously it's also a pretty competitive um, market as well. Uh, difficult to break into, I suppose. So. That's kind of what I would love, obviously. I mean, that's like every, you know, every podcaster seems to like, I would love to do the podcasting forever, you know, and just do it and be able to put all my energy into it. That would just be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The opposite question, what profession would you not like to do? Oh, I would not want to be any type of healthcare worker. <laughs> mm. I don't, uh, I, 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 I'm. I have compassion uh, on occasion. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can be empathetic. Uh, I'm as I get older, I'm a lot less empathetic as I used to be, and I think a position like that, or, or any kind of more public facing position, like even like uh, like I, I don't think I could handle working retail. Yeah, forty hours a week. Uh, I, I'm not. I don't think I'm that type of person. A lot of people excel at that type of position and that interaction. And I, I classify it as a mundane interaction. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's where I draw the line, you know, like this, this interaction, you and I, perfect. It's fucking Yay. great, this interaction, right? 
mundane interaction outside of the, your 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 hobbies and your interests uh that's the stuff that i shy away from that's what i don't like small talk yeah. i don't want to make small talk with you if you want to come in and buy something here it is i'm gonna go to the back now <laughs> that's yeah the kind of person I am. <laughs> and, it, and it takes a specific kind of person to do each of those jobs mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. and there are people who excel at those jobs and i wish all of them the best of luck but as somebody who has done both care and retail I'm not going back. Oh, Just, and, and and we need you people. You, you type of people, we need you. Like, we, we need you and we appreciate that you are capable and effective at your positions. But <laughs> so thank you for being there. <laughs> You're welcome. But yes, pay us more. Uh, <laughs> we cannot survive on minimum wage. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. I could literally have a whole rant and just bring a whole load of healthcare workers on and we could just make two hours we could just fuel the country with our oh, anger yeah. um but let's uh let's not go there the final question of the questionnaire if you could say only one statement to any one person what would that statement be and who would that person be any statement so like i could define myself define anything Yep, any person, alive or dead, uh, I'll put it in the messages as well. Um, Any one person, what that statement would be, and who would that person be? Well, I think if I was limited to one statement, it would just have to be... Boy, this is... Might... uh, Yeah, okay, it sounds cliche, but I would... I have one thing to say ever to one single person. It's going to be... To my girlfriend, Emma, that I love you. Aw. That's so cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> how long have you two been together? Oh, wow. We've been together uh, just over two years. Um, we also actually met over Twitter. And hey. she actually lives in the Netherlands. We formed a relationship during the pandemic. So it wasn't until over a year of us being together that we could actually meet in person because of travel restrictions. Yeah. And uh, yeah, things are going great. We're, we're working things out and trying to figure out how we, where we get together and where we're going to be in one place uh, permanently. But yay. Um, as soon as you hit the two year mark, it goes downhill from there. Just save all experience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, God. You two sound utterly wonderful. Um, now, to round us out, um, can you remind us where we can find you online? Yeah, please. Uh, my personal handle, Leland underscore Steel on Twitter, uh, incorrigibleparty.com, ttpopcast.com uh, for both of my shows. Uh, you know, information about both of them, show notes for our podcast, uh, NBC information, world lore for the Incursible Party, a number of city maps. Uh, actually, what's great is uh, John, who plays Shaft on the Incursible Party, he will, he, he is a wonderful map maker. And he has made uh, almost all the maps for all of our cities for us. So it just is, it's like me relaying him. And it's more, again, of type of that collaboration amongst all of us, the hosts of the show. I'll give him details and he'll, he'll bring that to life in the map. Cause I'm not, I'm not so good as far as the map making, making it pretty. So he does a fantastic job of that. He really enjoys it. So plenty of city maps on there. So you kind of, you get the feel as you're listening, I hope. You get more. I, I, we just wanted to enhance the listening uh, yeah. uh, uh, experience. Yeah. And can we find John online as well? Yeah, he's uh, he is at Good Enough Party 
uh, on Twitter and Emily, man, what are all their handles? Yeah, we're all on Twitter. If you just search hashtag encourageable party, you'll find all yeah. of us. <laughs>